You bet. What's up? I'm hoping you can help me out on a little something bugging me. I um, I missed Ash Wednesday this year. Really? Yeah. I was kind of embarrassed about it. I didn't want anyone to know, so I just I went ahead and I did the ashes myself. Well, to the untrained eye, you know, it's fine, I guess. Yeah. It's, uh, but I don't. What is that? Is that shoe polish? No, uh, it's a uh, maple syrup. Here, why don't you take them? Yeah. Okay, so the bad news is you missed. No, sorry. Uh, the bad news is you missed Ash Wednesday, okay? But the good news is you can still have plenty of time to start your Lent plans. I was hoping you would say that. Yes. Okay. Now, I thought I would go the goal setting route this year. Okay. Because I don't like giving stuff up. <laughs> okay. So I've already started working on my list. They're pretty much all oh, yeah. solid gold. <laughs> Oh, you're redoing your New Year's resolutions. Hmm. All right, so what do we got? <laughs> Walk on the moon, run for president, okay, sequence DNA. Yeah, no, hang on, that's Wait. next year's. Those are for 2015. Flip that over. Next year's. Oh, here we go. All right. All right. Yeah. Lose weight. Patrick, do you really need to lose weight? No, but I thought I'd start with something easy and I'll get that ball rolling. <laughs> okay. It's already crossed off. I see that. Okay, that's a good one. Stop gossiping. Oh, yeah. Excellent. No, no, I don't want to be anything like my cousin Tom, you know, with the da 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 And uh, my friend Sheila, you know, ever since she had that No, I don't. No, 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 that's right. Thing. That's not bad. You know, I mean, it's not bad to have personal goals, but really, Lent is about... Picking one or two things that you can do to help improve your relationship with God. Oh, this is going to be easier than I thought. I know. It's going to be very easy, right? Let's start simple. Let's think. Let's think. Okay. Hey, you have a Bible. Right? Oh, yeah. It's right on my nightstand. Perfect. Easy access. Well, it's not easy access. I mean, right now I'm using it to prop up the TV so I can watch that Honey Boo Boo show. Huh. <clears throat> okay. All right. What about this? Read the Bible between episodes. Sure. Okay. Yeah, I can do that. All right. And what else? What else? Uh, you eat occasionally. Yeah, a couple times a day. A couple times a day. Before every meal, take a couple moments, pray. Boom. Piece of cake? I know. Easy peasy, right? No, no. All this talk about food's kind of made me hungry for cake. Oh. <laughs> I guess I should really think about something I could give up. I mean, isn't that the point of Lent? That is. You're catching on. Yeah. Is there anything maybe that you're doing that's just wasting your time that you could be spending with him? No, nothing I can think of. Nothing. Zip. Seriously? Got nothing. Okay, just a thought. Just a thought. What about not watching Honey Boo Boo for just a few weeks? You could TiVo it, all right? Later on, Honey Boo Boo Marathon. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know how to hit a guy where it hurts, well, but... Uh, <clears throat> hey... I'm all about the sacrifice. You know? I know you are. Okay. And you're, yes, just set aside a little time every day to improve your relationship with him. That's it. Sounds great. All Thanks, right. Gary. Appreciate it. Right. Oh, hey, one more thing. Yeah. Can I borrow your TiVo? Oh, boy. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you here this morning. Again, we want to extend... Uh, special welcome to you. If you are new here this morning, we love new people at Hope. My name is John. I'm the campus pastor here, and uh, we pray that you feel loved and welcomed in this place this morning. As you saw in the video, our friend Patrick, who you might recognize if you've ever seen Triple Espresso, uh, he is a member of Hope and uh, loves to do these little videos with us. But uh, maybe not him personally, but his character uh, is struggling a little bit with this whole idea of Lent. You do know we're in this season of Lent, the church year, these, these six weeks that are leading up to the resurrection, leading up to our celebration of Easter. And he's not just struggling with, with Lent with the idea of whether to give up watching 
Honey Boo Boo. What is Honey Boo? I've never even heard of it. Does anybody watch it, want to admit it? Okay, good, great. Um, uh, he's not just struggling with that. I think what he's really struggling with, and maybe what some of you struggle with this time of year, is really what is the whole point of Lent, of what the whole point of what God really desires in his life. He's got all these things, this list of things that he is going to do to be a better person. He's got a list of all these things that he is going to do for God. And I wonder, do you have some things like that on your list in your life today? Have you ever fallen into the trap of being a little bit confused about what God wants from you in your life? Yeah, I have too. Have you ever been a little confused of thinking that somehow that we need to impress God or that we need to prove to him that we're good? Look at all these things that I gave up for Lent. Look at my church attendance. Look at how often I pray. Look at how often I read my Bible. And, and I think at some time or another, we've all wondered that question, God, what is it that you really want from me? Have you ever wondered that? God, what do you desire for me in my life? And depending on your background, you know, whether you grew up in the church or you didn't grow up on the church, our minds, when we, or we ask that question, are hardwired to think, be good. Be really, really good. Be really, really obedient. And those are all good things, but I think for our friend Patrick, that's what he was missing and what we often miss is that God wants your heart. I don't know what's going on in your heart and in your mind as you came in here this morning, but God wants your heart. That maybe Lent isn't about all the good things that we're going to do for God and perform and accomplish for him, but maybe Lent is really about creating space in your life. That's why people fast. That's why people give things up. That's why we stop watching Honey Boo Boo and put maple syrup on our forehead. Um, We're just trying to create space in our life for God to do the work and the transformation that only he can do. It's not us performing to be good enough because he's already done the performing for us. Amen? If only it were that easy. If you've ever struggled with feeling like you're not good enough, if you've ever struggled with wondering what God thinks of you, or on the opposite end of the spectrum, if you're willing to admit that sometimes you fall into the trap of thinking you've already arrived, that you've already made it, thinking, you know, I'm, I'm really not that bad which can happen to all of us, then our story today is for you. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open to Luke chapter 18 that Norma read for us this morning. If you don't have a Bible, everybody should have a Bible on their lap because I want you to follow along with the story because what God has to say is a lot more important than what I have to say this morning. So grab one of those Bibles. We're going to dive into God's Word today. We are continuing our series called Jesus Stories that we're in during the season of Lent about this person uh, named Jesus that lived and walked among us who was, among many things, a savior and a teacher and a healer. But do you know who else Jesus was? Do you know who else Jesus was? He was an incredible storyteller. He was an incredible storyteller, which is where we begin today with not some more Bible teaching to cram down your throats. I'm not trying to convince you of any facts or ideas. This morning, I want to tell you a story. Well, two stories, actually, of two very different young boys. Not unlike you and I when it all comes down to it. 
I want to tell you a story. Long ago, there was a young boy who grew up by the sea. He lived there with his family. His name was Simon. Simon grew up like most other Jewish boys in his culture with a large family. And they lived all together and they were all very close. And Simon was, like most other boys, energetic. He loved to play outdoors, skipping rocks over the sea with his brothers and sisters. But most of Simon's time was spent at the synagogue, the church building in in those days, spending hours poring over God's law under the teaching of some of the greatest rabbis at the time. And at the beginning of his faith journey for Simon, learning about God was free, and it was innocent, and it was full of joy and wonder. And yet as Simon grew and became more and more aware of God's law, something in his heart began to shift. His studies became more about getting ahead or having more knowledge than the rest of the class about who was following God's law more perfectly. On the outside, Simon was at the top of the class because he knew it all up here. But in here, he was growing farther and farther away from God. This continued until adulthood when, surrounded by his colleagues, people called them the Pharisees the religious leaders of the day, he discovered that the only way to cover up the guilt that he felt in his own heart was to put the mask on and put on a show. The only way that he could cover up the guilt that he felt in his own heart was Simon discovered, as many of us do, that in order to feel good about himself, he had to judge others and put them down, especially those ungodly tax collectors hit pause on Simon. Farther down that same sea, there was another boy that grew up at the same time, yet in much different circumstances. His name was Aaron. Aaron grew up not in a wealthy home, but the son of a blacksmith who lived long hours just to put food on the table. He had always heard stories of worshiping Yahweh, but but he doubted If measly old him, measly old him, if God had any time for him. Because they had so little, Aaron was never able to attend school like all the other little boys that never able to go to the temple, but instead had to learn as he went. And so what he would do is bounce from shop to shop in the village, learning what he could, and eventually he took a liking to banking. His original heart was to help people with their money. And Aaron would spend hours with a local banker because uh, his lack of education, he eventually landed on the only job that he could find that had anything to do with money that he could get into, and that was a tax collector. And sure, it was enough to live on, but soon as he learned, there was no position in the culture of those days that was more despised by the world around him. Tax collectors were known far and wide for being liars, cheats, and thieves. And so one day when money started to run thin, Aaron struggled with falling into the same stereotype and he eventually was caught for taking some of the taxes, some of the money that was not his, and he kept it for himself. And so in his guilt and in his shame, Aaron wondered, maybe as you have sometimes, 
man, could God ever forgive me after what I've done? What does God think of me now? And worst of all, since leaving home, Aaron had actually started to attend the temple each week and he began to hear about a God of love. But certainly now, how could God still love me? One night, Aaron wrote in the journal that he'd been keeping his whole life and he wrote this. My life is a mess. After 45 years of trying to follow God, I keep losing him in the crowded busyness of my life. I know that he's there somewhere, but it's difficult to make him out in the haze of everyday life. For as long as I can remember, I have wanted to be a godly person. Yet when I look at the yesterdays of my life, what I see is mostly a broken, irregular path littered with mistakes and failure. I've had temporary successes and isolated moments of closeness to God, but I long for his continual presence in my life. Most of the moments of my life seem a hopeless tangled web of obligations and distractions. I want to be a good person. I don't want to fail. I I want to learn from my mistakes and rid myself of distractions and run into the arms of God. But most of the time, however, I feel like I'm running away from him into the arms of my own clutteredness. I want desperately to know God better. I want to be consistent, but right now the only consistency in my life is inconsistency. Who I want to be and who I am are not very close together. I'm not doing well at living the consistent life thing. I don't know, can you relate with Aaron? Have you ever been there? And so that night he he wrote that in his journal and then the next morning at the end of his rope, Aaron decided, he'd never done this before, but he decided to go to the temple to pray to see if God would accept him. He decided to go to the temple and and come clean and, and pour out his heart to God. And it just so happened that that day there was two men, one on either side standing at the temple. Simon, the Pharisee, and Aaron, the tax collector. And so Jesus tells the story, pick it up in verse 10 of Luke 18. So these two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector, and the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like these other people, these evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Two stories. Two young boys who began their spiritual journey with such innocence and with such joy. Yet one heart is closed to God, the other heart open. One person very close to God, one who could not be farther away, yet they have one thing in common, Simon and and Aaron. The one thing they have in common is that they are desperately trying to please God, to be good enough. One seeking to be good enough by their own goodness, 
the other desperately seeking grace. Two very different postures. Now, the stories that I shared, do we know if that was the real story? Maybe. Maybe not. Do we know that those were their true names? No. We're never told, but everyone has a story, don't they? You have a story. It's the reason that you're sitting here this morning. What is your story today? Which, uh, which side of the temple porch would you be on? What is your posture, what is your heart posture towards God today? Is it open towards whatever he wants from you, or is it closed? Have you arrived? Are, are you there? Or is your heart open to God? And before you think you know the answer, I want you to think about it this way. A couple weeks ago, I, I uh, was uh, teaching a college class down here at, at Mercy College, and every year they bring in the token Lutheran guy. That's me. Think about shaving my head like Martin Luther and wearing a robe. Um, so I'm the token Lutheran guy, and I go in this class, and I am, I am prepared, and I am so excited because every college student loves religion class, right? Or so I thought. Every college student is dying to learn about Martin Luther and the Reformation, Whew. right? Not so much. So I get in there, and I'm all stoked, and I'm sitting up there on my stool, and I'm ready to teach. I'm like, who's ready to be a Lutheran? Like crickets, right? So I'm looking at their posture and how the posture has changed. I'm who's excited to be in class today? And all these college students are sitting there going, ugh, why do I have to be in religion class? It got me thinking about how students change over time. Do you remember when you were in kindergarten or when you dropped your kids off in kindergarten? They are stoked. So they're sitting there in class at their desk, right? And the teacher's taking attendance and they're like, Okay, uh, little Johnny, are you here? Oh, oh, I'm here! I'm so excited to be in school! Third grade, teachers taking attendance. You know, a li- little bit more down, but, but still pretty excited. Okay, uh, third grade class, uh, is little Johnny here? Yes, I'm here. So excited to be here, right? And their posture's just like, boom, I am in the room, right? I am so excited. Pause. Mm, eighth grade, right? Starting to get a little bit too cool for school. They're sitting at their desk. Teacher's taking attendance. Okay, uh, John, not little Johnny anymore, uh, big uh, puberty Johnny. Are you going, uh, are you here? Yes, I'm here. That's eighth grade. Uh, Let's fast forward to high school, right? Teacher's taking attendance. I barely made it. Johnny, are you here? Yo. I'm here. Fast, flash forward to college. Where's Johnny? He's not even there, right? Over time, our postures change, don't they? That's what I encountered with the college students that day. And so I, I don't know. I kind of just wondered as I was looking at this class, what happened to their posture? And I had a feeling that day that it has a lot more to do with what's going on in here than what's going on out here. I mean, we laugh and we giggle and that's funny and everything like that, you know, but what about you? Like when it comes to being a part of a church, when it comes to worship, is it 
Oh man, I am so excited to be at worship today. And maybe you never show it on the outside, but that's what your heart is saying. Man, I can't wait to see what God is going to do today. Or is the posture of your heart today, uh, I'm here. Yo, kind of doing the Christian thing, you know, but really I'm more excited about what comes after worship because I got all these things I got to do today. So it's probably just going to be the same old thing and we'll just come in and worship and we'll hear the sermon and I'll go back out and get on with real life. Check yourself. What's the posture of your heart today? What, what, what is going on inside that it may be expressed on the outside, but but maybe not. By simply telling us a story, Jesus is telling us that there's two very different ways to approach God. There's, there's two different ways to go through this life, and I just kind of want to draw up some of those comparisons for you. In, in one way, one way, if we kind of just split it down the middle, you can go through life closed or you can go through life open. Everybody take your fist and just squeeze it as hard as you can. I'll just hold it there for the rest of the sermon. Okay, now let it go. Which way do you want to live? Which, which kind of posture do you want to live? And so Jesus is drawing up these two comparisons for us. And in this story, Jesus answers once and for all the question that we asked at the start. What is it that God wants from you? What kind of a life, what kind of a posture is Jesus looking for in your Life. And so Jesus is drawing three comparisons here in this story. So I want you to keep Luke 18 open as we walk through this. First, the first comparison I want to draw from you is your life, and you can write these down if you want. Man, when you write up here, it's hard to spell. Is it exclusive or is it inclusive? I think I spelled that right. Is it exclusive or is it inclusive? Look at verse 11. What's the posture of the Pharisee here? We read verse 11. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like what? Other people. The Pharisee had fallen into the same temptation that you and I face every single day of our lives to take a big, giant stick and draw a line in the sand between us and them. Whoever them is in your life. And when that line gets drawing, drawn, we are declaring that there is an us, there is a me, and then there is a they. There is a them. When that line gets drawn, we create thems in our life. And I just want to ask you this morning, who are the thems that you've labeled? And you kind of look at the world around you and you start looking at people, who are the thems? <laughs> Who have you placed on the other side of that line? And when we place people on the other side of that line, it inevitably brings comparison and judgment. And so we start assigning value to those people, just like the Pharisee did. You know, there's the obvious, you know, there's my living status, and then there's their living status. There's my social standing, and then there's their social standing. There's, there's people who look the way that I do, and then there's those that dress that way whatever that way is. Have you ever noticed how much pleasure there is in passing judgment on others? Kind of gives you that little rise inside. 
And I'm not just talking about criticizing people, but maybe even presuming to know their motives, their hearts, and their character. I mean, I don't know about you, but I can look at people who have more money than I do, and I automatically think they're materialistic. I can look at people who make less than I do and, and are really struggling in life and say, well, they must be lazy. And I don't know about you, but I, I do this naturally in my head every single day. I don't have to think about being judgmental. I am judgmental. Can anybody resonate with that? We just do that naturally, right? You don't, I, I don't wake up in the morning and say, can't wait to go judge today. It's our flesh. It's our sinful nature that comes up. There's a sociologist and author named Brene Brown, and she's spoken at the, the Willow Creek Leadership Summit. She's written some great books that I would highly recommend. And she makes this powerful statement about other people in our lives. She says this, if we're completely honest... We are those people. The truth is, we are the others. Most of us are, listen to this, most of us are one paycheck, one divorce, one drug-addicted kid, one mental health diagnosis, one serious illness, one sexual assault, one drinking binge, one affair away from being those people. Those people that we don't trust, the ones that we pity, the ones that we don't let our children play with, the ones bad things happen to, the ones we don't want to live next to. That kind of puts it in perspective, doesn't it? In this story today, Jesus is telling us, be very, very careful what lines you draw in your life and who you label them. Now, this is not to say, some of you might say that, well then, I can't, we can't really call anybody out. I mean, I mean, if somebody is going off in sin, I just have to say, well, I can't judge you, so go. Scripture says no. <laughs> Quite the opposite. We, it's not like we don't hold anybody accountable. It's that everybody, you might think, everybody's a victim, so I can't really call them out on anything. Instead, with every encounter that Jesus had in the Scriptures, he's offering invitation and challenge. Everybody say Invitation. Everybody say challenge. So when we encounter them and the others in our lives, we offer invitation and challenge. We speak the hard truth that people need to hear, but we always, always, always do it in love. That's called discipleship. And we're all called to that. We live reminding each other that God loves us right where we are this morning, but he refuses to leave us that way. But we resist the need to draw up lines in the sand. Because what we end up doing is we end up putting the, up the very walls between us and other people that Jesus came to destroy. And although the world draws up its lines, at the foot of the cross, it's level ground. Amen? At the foot of the cross, there's room for everyone. And it seems like that day, Jesus wasn't looking at these two guys, looking at the Pharisee and looking at the tax collector. He did not see social status or religious performance. He saw his children who have names. The reason I told you the story like that from the beginning is it kind of changes your perspective on that Bible story when they have names, doesn't it? It's not the Pharisee, the tax collector, that person in my life, those people, those other people, everybody that you encounter in your life, the people that you have the harshest criticism and judgment for, they have names. And they have a story, just like 
you do. And I am convinced that, that one of the biggest things that lies behind our exclusivity, our exclusive postures in life with people that we don't know is fear. Isn't it? Like, think about it. With the people that you don't know, with the, 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 the people that you would say are those people, it's fear of the unknown. We just don't know each other. And so what we're going to do is we're going to practice our way into a new way of living. And we're going to start that here this morning. So what I want you to do, I want you to take a quick minute. And when I say go, I want you to stand up. And here's your challenge. We're just going to do this for like a minute and a half. So you've got to work quick, all right? This is your challenge this morning. We're not just going to talk about it. We're going to do it. I want you to find somebody that you think you have the least in common with. Okay? Iowa State fans, this is going to mean that you're going to need to stop gloating and be friends with the Hawkeye fan, okay? So here's what I want you to do. We're going to put some questions up on the screen. There's two questions, okay? I want you to learn each other's name. And secondly, what is one thing that you have in common? So I want you to find somebody that you don't think you have anything in common with. It's opposite of you. Then I want you to find something you have in common. It can't be we love Jesus and we go to Hope Des Moines, okay? <laughs> Cop out, Okay? Work through it, work a little harder, find something unique that the two of you have in common. When you do that, you can go back to your seat, okay? So hop on up, find somebody that you don't know. Go for it. All right, I'm going to bring you back here. I know you could go on all day. Give, give that person a high five before you go back to your seat. Give your partner a high five before you go back to your seat. Sometime that's just going to be the whole sermon. I'm just going to have you talk to each other. Hey, hey, I want, you, I want to ask you a question. Really quickly, just kind of take a quick glance around the room. Just kind of look at each other. Try not to be too awkward. Okay, now look back up here. Changes everything when they have a name, doesn't it? You got a name, and you have a story. Just like the people in our Bible story today. And now it's no longer random, weird-looking person sitting next to me. I'm not pointing any fingers. There's one thing that all of us have in common today. I'm sure you found out many things, but there's one thing that we all have in, in common, and that's that we're sons and daughters of the king, aren't we? And so your story brought you here this morning, and I wonder, maybe that hashtag this week for you, maybe that God sighting, that God on the move in your life moment, what if you did something this week with somebody that's totally not like you? What if you sought out somebody in your life that is completely different from you and you served them this week? I'll do that. How about that? That's not a bad idea, huh? So tweet about it. Facebook about it. We, we want to we hear about it. So my prayer for this church is that we would continue to move from us and them to just us. We can take out the and them part and have it just be us, regardless of where we came from, where we live, where we work, where we don't work currently, how much is in our bank account, what we look like on the outside, and that more and more all of us would come under the umbrella of broken, messed up, imperfect, but forgiven. Which is the second comparison that Jesus makes in this story. One of these postures is proud, and the other posture is broken. Are you keeping track of this? And when I say proud, I'm not talking about like, oh, I'm proud of my kid because they were in the school play. That's a different kind of proud. I'm talking about pride. I'm talking about arrogance, closed to any... I'm talking about living life like this, right? Which was the posture that Simon had 
that day. And I, I wonder, when it comes to your view, I'm not talking about between us and other people, I'm just talking about your view of you to God, yourself before God, do you compare yourself vertically or do you compare yourself horizontally? And the difference changes everything. Because for Simon the Pharisee, it was easy to be proud because in order to be righteous before God, in order to be good enough, all I have to do is be better in my mind than that guy. Right? Than those people. He's comparing horizontally. Remember being in high school or college and the teacher stands up and says, we're going to grade on a curve? Right? And so all you have to do is be smarter than the other people in the class. And so you kind of look around and you go, yes, I can at least scratch out a B here. Because I know I'm totally smarter than that guy and I definitely get better grades than her, right? And you kind of look around, right? So that's what Simon the Pharisee is doing. He thinks God grades on a curve. But the problem is he doesn't. God says you don't judge yourself horizontally in this life, you judge yourself vertically. And when all of us, when our sin for sure, but even when our goodness, everything good and pure and holy that you think you can accomplish for God is held up to his righteousness and his holiness, it will never be good enough. That's why we need a savior. We can actually live a version of Christianity where we're always comparing ourselves horizontally and we forget that we are called to compare ourselves to a holy, righteous God to which we will never measure up and that's what makes Christianity what it is. You can live a version that doesn't need a savior. If your prayer is, God, I thank you that I'm doing pretty well. You know, when I kind of compare myself to other people, like, I haven't sinned the way that she has. I haven't done what he's done. Well, I definitely haven't sinned like those people. Check yourself. Check yourself. That's what Jesus is asking. If our posture is proud, we can live a version of Christianity that doesn't need Christ. And instead, Jesus says, I want you to set your sights on Aaron. The tax collector who's over here, he's been wearing holes in his jeans because he's been on his knees. Because how desperate he is for God's grace. And often we forget Jesus is looking for the broken. Psalm 51, 17. This is a powerful verse. Let's throw it up on the screen. Let's read this nice and loud together. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Man. Jesus says, I'm, I'm looking for the broken. I'm looking for the, the men and women who have stopped drawing lines between us and them because they know themselves way too well. Sometimes people ask me, John, you know, you're up in front of people a lot. I, I go out to our West Des Moines campus and I'm preaching to gajillion people out there. And they go, John, do you ever get kind of full of yourself? And I go, I'm getting better at this, but I know myself way too much. <laughs> and I have a wife that knows me way too much. And I have people around me that remind me Before anything else, I'm John. And I know who I am when I'm not on the stage. And sometimes it's inconsistent with who I want to be. I don't know, have you ever felt that way? So my question is, do you have people in your life that can ground you? (laughs) Do you have people in your life that are willing to speak the truth to you so that you don't end up like Simon the Pharisee? Do you have people in your life that are willing to speak the truth 
in love because it's easy to deceive ourselves and think, well, I don't really need community. But what we discover, what I believe is what we discover when we grow in maturity in Christ, instead of becoming more aware of others' sins and faults, we actually become more aware of ours. We become more aware of not how much those other people need to learn, but we become much more aware of how much I have to learn. Sometimes I run into people in the church all the time and they say, you know, John, I've been a Christian for 15, 20, 30. I've been a Christian for 45 years. Been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, right? Remember that slogan? And that's the posture, that's the model that some people go through and they say, I've been in seven Bible studies, I've led eight small groups, I haven't missed a worship service in two years. Been there, done that. And I would, I'd beg to say for those serious about following Jesus, the more you're in community, the more you realize how much you need it. It's not, oh, I, I need to take a little break from that. I need to back off from that because I've, I've kind of done my thing and I'm a pretty mature Christian now and so now I can just kind of do life on my own. Actually, it's the exact opposite. The most servant-hearted, mature people that I know in their faith are the ones that are desperate for community. They're desperate for prayer. They're desperate for God's word. One of my favorite authors, Brennan Manning, writes this in, in a stark contrast to our Pharisee friend today. The call of Jesus is not for the super spiritual muscular Christians. It is not for the fearless and tearless, for the complacent hoisting over their shoulder a tote bag of honors and good works, believing that they've actually made it. Instead, this Jesus thing it is for the wobbly and weak need who know that they don't have it all together. It is for the poor and the weak and the sinful men and women, for the bent and bruised who feel that their lives are a great disappointment to God. Hmm. That sounds like the kind of Jesus I want to follow. I believe Aaron would say, the tax collector, and probably many of us would say, now, I can identify with that. That's my story. Is that your story? Because although we are great sinners, we have a great Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. I pray that's the story that people remember about us as a church as well. I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. You might have noticed that there is a story about us in the paper today. Well, that's exciting. It's not every day that you're on the cover of the Des Moines Register. I think they heard about my ice dancing skills. <laughs> Just kidding. You may have noticed um, photographers here the last few weeks. Uh, you may have noticed, you may have been interviewed. Um, and I'm excited about that, don't get me wrong. I, it's really cool. Um, God's doing some great things here. And so we praise him for that. And we give him the glory for that. But I want to caution us as the, as the word gets around town, it'd be very, very tempting to boast how great hope is. And don't get me wrong, hope is great. You're a great church. And I am so honored to be one of your leaders. But do you want to know what makes hope great? It's because we have a great Savior who loves us just as we are and not as we should be. 
what a better story today. <laughs> when we're on the front page of the paper, our story today is about a tax collector who beats his chest, who feels as though he is unworthy to be in the presence of God. And says, although I am a great sinner, I know that I have a great Savior. And I boast only, and I will always boast only in Christ. Because you know as well as I know, without him, we don't have hope. We know how much we can accomplish on our own, right? You know how good of a person that you can be on your own strength. And that's why Jesus ends this parable today in verse 14 by saying, I tell you that this man, the scum of the earth, the outcast, the sinner, the tax collector, went home justified before God. In other words, holy, forgiven, redeemed, only by God's grace. Because his posture, instead of... (laughs) I'm fine, was, Lord, I need you. At the end of the day, that's the choice. Our posture can say, I'm fine, I'll pray, I'll worship God, I'll come to you when I have time, when it's convenient for me. And the other posture says, Lord, we need you. We are desperate for you every day, every hour, no matter what season of life, in the highs and lows, whether we're on the headline news or we've never been heard of before, it doesn't change the fact that the cry of our hearts and the prayer of us as a church is always, Lord, we need you. We need you. Because at the end of the day, it's either going to be our fame or it's going to be God's glory. So what are we living for? May that be our prayer today. Lord, we need you. And as you watch this final clip, I just want you to put yourself in these stories and maybe you can relate to them. But don't have it just be a video. Make this our worship. Make this your prayer today. Lord, we need you. So may that be our prayer as a church every hour. Lord, we need you. And may he move you today from closed to open, from exclusive to inclusive, from proud to broken, and from I'm fine to Lord, I'm desperate for you. Would you stand? Let's pray.